Good for you. All right, everybody, bring it in, please. Let's come back in, have a seat, and uh, begin Bible study this morning. A lot of good food out there. I don't blame you. <laughs> Mumi brought in a nice uh, casserole this morning. Mumi. Mrs. Cremata. <laughs> All right, awesome. Thank you, Andrew, Olivia, for worship. And uh, as we find our seats, uh, you can find your Bibles to and open up to Philemon. We are in Paul's letter to Philemon. Um, so, yeah, if you need a Bible, uh, we can provide you one for the a moment. Uh, and if you need one forever, we can just keep it. Anybody need a Bible? <laughs> You've got some way to look at the Word of God on your phone or other whatever. Okay, we're good. All right, welcome everybody this morning. Welcome online. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Book of Philemon. Uh, this little letter is a personal letter from Paul to this man Philemon. Uh, the players in this charming little story are Philemon and Onesimus, which was Philemon's slave. And uh, Paul was the mutual friend of both of them. Uh, so when there's nervousness, like I have right now, it's best just to jump into the Word of God because that is, remains true and it's a steady place for us to go. So let's read through this short letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apthia, which we believe is his wife, that's a woman's name, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. And so the way that's worded there, it would appear that Apthia and Archippus and Philemon represent the family, right? And they hosted a church in their home. Paul, in his classic greeting that he has for every one of his letters, he wrote half of the New Testament, 13 out of the 26 books, in every single one of them, he says exactly the same thing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it always comes in that order. <laughs> grace and then peace. When we've experienced God's grace, then we can experience the peace of God. So peace will follow grace. It's a beautiful benefit of being born again and knowing the Lord Jesus. Paul then says a few words to Philemon, how he thanks God, making mention of him always in his prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I read New King James, so that's why you might sound a little different if you're in ESV or otherwise. Paul says, verse 7, we have great joy and consolation in your love because of the hearts, or because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Very often, Paul in his letters, uh, whether it's to a church or in this case to an individual or to Timothy or Titus, uh, he will almost always give thanks for those Christians. Uh, Paul loved the body of Christ. He loved Jesus and he loved uh, the church that um, has faith in Christ. And 
he's a praying man. I mean, he spent a lot of time, I think, in his travels or on his knees, whatever. He was just constantly praying to God. And one time in particular that strikes me in the book of Acts, as Paul was traveling back to Jerusalem, his friends took, some, took a ship. They got on a boat. And Paul's like, you guys go ahead. I'm going to walk. I'll meet you there. And I think he just needed a little private time just to be separated unto the Lord and to spend some time in intercession. Uh, so I encourage you to do the same. Uh, as you're walking to your class or you're driving in your car, just redeem the time. Uh, we have constant access to the throne of God, right? That's the great message as Jesus died on the cross. The veil was torn in the temple, indicating that we have free access to now through faith. So redeem the time, spend time in fellowship with the Lord all the time. You can constantly talk, maybe just be silent as my brother Andrew constantly reminds me, you know, hear, let's hear what the Lord is saying to, to us as well. All right, mini-sermon, that's over. Verse 8, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's in prison in Rome. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And that's Paul's way of saying that this man Onesimus came to faith in Christ through his ministry, through his personal sharing of the gospel and discipleship. This man Onesimus has yielded his life and accepted the gospel as true for him, Received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. So that's, why he, that's the way he says that. My son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I mentioned this last week. So this is part two of, I guess, a three-part sermon. Uh, last week we mentioned that Onesimus' name means profitable. So Paul's using intentionally here a little, little pun, a little play on words that he, prior to this time, your slave Onesimus Philemon was unprofitable, pun, pun, uh, but now he's profitable, right? Verse 12, I am sending him back to you in person, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be compulsion, be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention you, to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Another little indication that Philemon came to faith also through Paul's ministry. And that's what he's referring to there. Um, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
But meanwhile, also prepare up guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Okay, so the theme of this letter is reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's a personal letter that is practical. It's a lesson in practical Christianity. That is, doing for one another what Jesus did for us. It's important that we know, excuse me, what reconciliation means because it's our calling as Christians to, hear me, practice reconciliation and preach reconciliation. You can't do that until you first have been reconciled to God, which is what happened here with Onesimus. So the way what's happened is we piece together the, the limited information that is written to us here in Philemon is that Philemon, as Paul told us, came to faith in Christ. And we think that that's probably happened when Paul was ministering in Ephesus for, I think, two and a half or three years. Philemon left Colossae for whatever reason, business or pleasure. He ends up in Ephesus and he meets the Apostle Paul and he hears the gospel. Philemon was a businessman. He had a slave, maybe more than that. I don't know. All we do know is that he left Colossae a pagan, an idol-worshipping heathen man, and he went to Ephesus, came to faith, returned to Colossae as a Christian. He had turned from idolatry and put his faith in Jesus Christ. It's really important to the story here because most likely Onesimus was left behind to tend to the business affairs at the home or at the farm or whatever, and when his master Philemon returns, perhaps with his wife Apphia and Archippus, they all have come to faith, he, Onesimus, sees a transition, a transformation in the life of his master, so much so that he even planted a church or at least allowed a church to meet in their home. And so Onesimus sees this. For whatever reason, and we'll talk a little bit, a lot about that actually today, Onesimus steals something from his master and runs away. And he runs far away, like all the way to Rome, which is more than a thousand miles. And in that day, that would have been weeks of travel. So it's sort of prodigal-like, right? Took a big boatload of something valuable and headed for the hills to go live a life of, quote, freedom. He ends up in Rome, and we don't know how, but he also comes into contact with the Apostle Paul, and he comes to faith. In other words, he was reconciled to God because he had sinned against God and his fellow man, Philemon, his boss. So it's important that we understand reconciliation. Today I want to talk to you about not being reconciled to God. I'll just review a little bit how that went down. But to be reconciled to man, which is part two of the story of reconciliation. We're first reconciled to God, and then we're reconciled to, to our fellow man, the one whom we've offended. That might be the harder thing to do, quite honestly. 
Very simply, because Jesus is perfect. He has perfect understanding of our heart. And he knows when you have turned from your sin, he, see, he sees perfectly. And when you have turned from your sin, you're broken, contrite, and you're repentant, then he grants forgiveness. Unfortunately, we're sinners, and we don't always know that about our fellow brother or sister. And so when they come and they're appearing to be conciliatory or seeking reconciliation, because there's been some distrust or some betrayal or there's hurt involved, we're not sure we're ready to forgive. So I just want to exhort us this morning in this idea of being reconciled to man. Quick review. Reconciliation, by definition, means to restore harmony, to resolve differences, to reestablish a broken relationship. And if you notice in those three R words, restore, resolve, reestablish, they're all prefixed by the RE. So something was there and it broke. <laughs> and we're wanting to restore that. We want to bring it back to a place, it's relational. Reconciliation is a relational term. I was in, talking with Lawrence here before church started and was just commenting that, you know, it's, there's so many words that Paul uses in his letters, and I wish he'd use this word more. It's such an important benefit that we receive from faith and that it brings us into a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. There's reestablished fellowship with him. There's harmony in our relationship. Reconciliation literally means to exchange hostility for a friendly relationship. It starts with being reconciled to God. A couple of verses that we looked at last week as a reminder to you. Romans 5 verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, excuse me, by the death of his son. Colossians 1 you were alienated and hostile in your minds, which, uh, how's that written there? <laughs> but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So that's what we learned last week, that reconciled, uh, that Onesimus became reconciled to God. In other words, he found forgiveness for his sin from God. Now he needs to be reconciled to man. And Paul is writing to his dear friend Philemon, and he's appealing to him to forgive Onesimus, his slave, and to be reconciled. I want to make a couple of points, and this is sort of an intentional rabbit trail for you parents or fellow friends who know others siblings or relatives who are not Christians. And you have talked to them and you have shared the gospel with them as lovingly and as simply as you can with your words and with your life. And I need to hear this, that the seeds that you have sown might take a while to germinate. All right? And I'm intentionally using words that Jesus used, like a sower went out to sow, and he sowed the word of God, which is the message of the gospel of Jesus. And that seed fell on various heart conditions. Some were stone cold, hard, had no effect. Others 
there was different effect. But ultimately, the goal is that the seed will bring forth new life, forgiveness, and, and a born-again experience where there's reconciliation between a sinner and God. And I'm, I want to exhort us in this because of the backstory. Because Colossae, Philemon rather, lived in Colossae. He left town. He left home where he was the slave master of, of Onesimus. He goes away for a period of time. He comes back as a Christian. His life is transformed. I can guarantee you that he shared the gospel with Onesimus. And that the fact that they had a house planted in their church, or a church planted in their house, that Onesimus came into direct contact not with just Philemon or Archippus or Ephia, his wife, but with other Christians. And then, lo and behold, one day, Philemon wakes up and he goes out and Onesimus doesn't show up for work. He goes into the slave quarters and he's not there. And there was no note left, there's nothing, and he's gone. And then he discovers that he stole some of his stuff, stabbed him in the back, and ran for the hills. He doesn't know where he's at. It took him weeks to get to Rome. And for a long period of time, I suggest to you that Philemon was left like, geez, what happened? And so they would pray for this man. But I'm just, what, you know, the, the point is that when Onesimus finally gets to Rome, you know that the Spirit of God was working in his heart and his conscience. I am not living a life that is right with God. Thankfully, we're made in God's image, and we, he's given us a conscience that tells us what is morally right or morally wrong. It's not perfect, but it is effective. And stealing is wrong at all times in any culture. It just is wrong. And the dude stole something. And then he didn't show up for work. And so I just want to encourage you that this man came to faith it took some time. And I just want to make a plug, actually. I'm using this as a commercial break. <laughs> and that is, what happens back there in that Sunday school is profound and amazing. You've got these little tiny hearts with precious little soil that, for the most part, is pretty undefiled. And for a Sunday school teacher, a mom, a dad, or anybody, to just to pour into them the truth of God's love through Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, you have no, we have no concept of how, that, how God works with his word and how that might come back to that child or will come back to that child as they mature somewhere, some point in their life. Testimony after testimony after testimony throughout church history of men and women who have come to faith because of the faithful Sunday school ministry. We need help in the Sunday school ministry. We always need help in the Sunday school. I don't care what church you go to, there's always a need for help in the Sunday school ministry. And I'm telling you, you're going to get more out of it in teaching and loving these kids and hearing their innocent, beautiful, little, thought-provoking, challenging questions like, why? And then trying to come up with a simple answer, I would call it a happy meal, right? You got to take the great truths of God and break them down into something that's edible that they can somehow understand. My wife is amazing at this. So I encourage you to get involved. Uh, 
just volunteer for a Sunday or two and uh, experience the joy. But back to the point that I wanted to make. Sometimes the seeds of the gospel that we've sown take a while to germinate. It takes, it requires more light. For a seed to germinate, it requires certain things. Light, heat, water, patience, right? Light, we learn from John's gospel, is equal to truth, right? Sometimes it mean, it just requires more light. So Onesimus goes to Ephesus, perhaps, to stops off and gets some shipping over to Rome. Well, there's a pretty good church in Ephesus. Who knows? Maybe he bumps into a Christian there. Somebody gives him a little bit more light, not even knowing perhaps the situation, but just talks to him and mentions the gospel to Onesimus. It requires more water, right? It's that same concept that Paul said, it. I planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase. There was just this compounding influence of witness or testimony or relationship with different Christians that would come to them. And it, would, and it was the word of God that was, had initially gone in is now being fed and watered by more witness. It requires heat. Now by heat, I mean moral conviction, right? The Holy Spirit is very faithful to bring conviction. Maybe it's a legal conviction. <clears throat> that can be very effective when you just simply get caught and you get convicted and you have to pay the fine. <laughs> it's effective sometimes, is it not, to get caught speeding? Because I like to speed. <laughs> sure changes my attitude when I get in the car the next time. <laughs> Requires love. Intercession. So don't give up, brothers and sisters. Requires patience, faith that God hears, and he desires that all would be saved and to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Keep praying for your loved ones, okay? Keep praying. So what am I talking about this morning? I'm talking about being reconciled to man. Onesimus was reconciled to God. Now he needs to be reconciled to his boss, Philemon. Paul understood, look, dude, I can't keep you here. You need to go back home and you need to face the guy that you sinned against and you need to initiate some reconciliation, the process of reconciliation. As I said before, this can be the hard part. Being reconciled to God is sometimes easier because he is perfect and we know that he will always forgive when we come honestly and in our brokenness. We can't always be sure that's the case when we face someone that we've offended. That's why I think it's care we need to be careful and to choose our words carefully. And I'm taking a lesson here from Paul's words that he wrote on Onesimus' behalf. But just look at it with me, if you would, for a moment. Uh, verse 10, Paul says, or sorry, verse 11, uh, referring to Onesimus, he says, he was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable. Okay? Verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back. Verse 15, he departed. Verse 18, 
if he has wronged you or owes you anything. So when I take those three things and I put them together, it tells me that Onesimus was a slacker. He was not a good employee. He was unprofitable. And then he stole something. We learned that from verse 8. He owes, literally, he has a debt to pay to his boss. In verse 12, he made a run for it. So in seeking to apologize and to, and, to, and to pursue reconciliation with the one that you've offended, you need to choose your words carefully, okay? So using these words that Paul used, I just want to build uh, an example for you. Paul said that he was once unprofitable. Translation, Ionesimus had a bad attitude about you, Philemon. See, that's the kind of thing that you want to say to the, some, somebody that really demonstrates a true repentant and restored heart personally with God, and now you're going back to this person you've offended, and you're saying very clearly, I had a bad attitude about you. I knew what you wanted and expected and desired of me. I chose to be stubborn and rebellious and contrary. That's what unprofitable really means. Paul said, sending back, departed. Translation, I, Onesimus, I now realize that the rebellious attitude that went unchecked developed into disgust. I'm so sorry. I found myself really disliking you, and I wanted to get as far away from you as I could. And then Paul said that he wronged or owes. Translation, living in that toxic attitude that I left unchecked, it developed into disrespect, and I felt justified in stealing your stuff. I've sinned against heaven and you, as the prodigal said. Did you all hear that? Because we do offend one another. I don't see in anywhere in that the word but. Because we all know, as soon as you say but, that means you didn't mean anything you just said. You were just blowing smoke. All right? So be very clear. You need to give some careful thought to the words that you're going to say because you're seeking to admit you're wrong to this other person. Right? Somebody once famously said, the hardest words, the two hardest words for a husband to say to his wife. Anybody know what they are? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know how that got framed in a marriage context somewhere a long time ago. It's always stuck with me. I think it's true in any case. Carefully, prayerfully think through how you can initiate and intentionally look for reconciliation. So think about your words. Own it. Take full responsibility for the things that you've done. And name it clearly. I had a bad attitude. I was unprofitable to you. I admit it. I stole your stuff. I did not do what you asked me to do. I was rebellious and cantankerous. And then I ran for the hills. I wanted to get away from you, as far away from you as I can. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I've sinned. Would you please forgive me? It's very simple, right? 
So I give Onesimus a lot of credit. He was intentional and he initiated reconciliation. I believe that he went from Rome back to Colossae as a humble man. And I also give him credit that he persevered because in the many weeks it took him from to travel from there to there, do you think that he had any second thoughts in his mind? Of course he did, just like you and I do. Do you think he ever was a little bit nervous and then started thinking about maybe I shouldn't really, what's the point? You know, I'll just go and I'll just say, hey, sorry, and I'll go back in. No, that's not really building reconciliation, restoring the lost fellowship and relationship you had. So own it, my brothers and sisters. I thought it was very wise, too, that we learned from Colossae that Philemon wasn't alone. He was accompanied by a man named Tychicus. So I thought that was pretty wise that he had a... He had somebody to hold him accountable. Look, I'm with you, bro. I'm praying for you. We're going we're gonna to get there, and we're going to do this thing, right? Even if your voice shakes, you got to say it. You got to look your one you've offended in the eye and say, I am sorry. I did this. I was taught a long time ago as an early Christian, as a young Christian, that when you make an apology, you always say, God has shown me. And then you clearly state it, and make it simple and short and shut up <laughs> after that because you can't trust your own tongue, your own heart, what might come out after the fact. So the million-dollar question is, did Philemon forgive him? Of course he did. And that's the beautiful thing is why this book is even in the Bible, this little letter. He forgave him. And by the way, I want to point out to you the gospel in Paul's words, verse 17 and 18. If then you count me as a partner, Philemon, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Do you see the exchange there? Paul said, I'm going to absorb his wrong. The stuff that he did wrong, I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'll pay his debt. I'm innocent in this matter, but my innocence is being transferred to him. Receive him as you would me. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's how we get to go to heaven, right? Because our wrong was transferred over to Jesus, and the gospel tells us that in exchange, he gave us the righteousness of God, which gives us standing with God. The glorious truth. So with all that, I want to just turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at a couple of verses where Jesus talked about reconciliation himself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Famous words, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, after giving his Beatitudes, he comes to verse 21. Matthew 5, he said, you have heard that it was said to those of old or by those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that is really, really profound. When Jesus says, you have heard, but I say, right? What he is declaring there is that this is authoritative, it's original, it is God speaking to you. Like, 
yeah, the law says, the Lord gave, God gave Moses the law, you shall not murder. Well, over the course of time, the rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, they would translate, what's that really mean? And then some, along the way, things would be written down, and that priest would pass, and then the next rabbi would come up. And he would take those previous writings, it's like peer review, and then he would expound on that even further. And Jesus would say, you have heard by, that it has been said by those of old, but I say to you, right? So what you're about to hear is actually the truth. And Jesus doesn't replace the law. He tells us the spirit, the heart of the law, right? So he says, but I say to you that whoever's angry with his brother without a cause, New King James, shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, <laughs> shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Now, those are weird words, Raka. It's just a word that's almost untranslatable, but it just it shows complete disregard and disrespect for the other one. Today, we might say, oh, you idiot. <laughs> right? you're, just, you're just a fool. Uh, so something along those lines. And then he says, you fool, that just com absolute contempt and condemnation. You really have put yourself in the place of God and you're declaring some kind of judgment against that brother based on his character. And the Lord then, understand, brothers and sisters, that he's taking the written law and he's, take, and he's saying, what is true about murder, it starts in the heart. The spirit and the heart of the law is, is where it all begins. Therefore, verse 23, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You see, brothers and sisters, reconciliation is what we practice. This is absolutely essential part of our living out our Christianity. We are to obey these words, okay? This is the Lord's heart. Reconciliation is the heart of God. He wants to restore relationship first with himself, and he wants us to work hard at keeping the relationship among ourselves. Ephesians 4, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That requires humility, and it requires initiation, and intentionally saying, somebody's got something against me. It's very interesting to me that Jesus said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there at the altar, you remember. Now he's speaking to Jewish culture. And we know that in the temple, there was an altar that was a place that they burned wood and they would sacrifice animals. Well, that's the way it worked in the Old Testament, right? You would bring this innocent animal, you would transfer your sin and guilt onto the animal by placing your hands on it, you would confess your sin before God onto the innocent animal, and then that thing would suffer in your place as a substitute. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, that's been replaced by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He essentially put his hand on us and said, look, you are sinful people, I'll absorb your sin and then I'll give you my righteousness. That's the plus side of the New Testament. 
we actually get something in exchange for our confession, for our guilt. So I just find that interesting. The Lord's like, therefore, if you bring your gift, <clears throat> excuse me, to the altar and there remember, isn't that interesting? So while you're at church, I'm going to New Testamentize this, while you're at church and you're hearing the truths from the Word of God and, and you're being reminded of the glory of the gospel in the New Testament, that while you're experiencing that and you're, and you're ex freshly experiencing the forgiveness that you've received, <clears throat> if then you realize, you know, there's somebody over here that we're just not right yet. There's something that has been unsettled. There's an irreconcilable issue, or maybe I shouldn't say it that way. There's something that hasn't been reconciled. See, that's the glory of coming to church, of worshiping together of hearing the word of God. Because the Lord then says, ah, what you have experienced, I want you to do the same as I have done to you. Isn't that the great lesson of the washing of the disciples' feet? I've given you an example that as I have done to you, you should do for one another. Happy are you if you do these things. What did the washing of the feet mean? It, it demonstrated in very simple terms I've washed your sin. I've justified you. Now do that with one another. So do that, brothers and sisters. Do it. Yeah, well, I don't like confrontation. Who does? If you do, no, that's interesting. <laughs> if there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. That's fascinating to me. Jesus is like, I really don't want your worship. I want to see you worship me by going out and being reconciled to that brother. Don't sweep that under the rug. Don't just stuff it and, deal, and not deal with it. Isn't it interesting? One brother is worshiping. Where's the other guy or girl? Again, I'm New Testamentizing this. Invented a word this morning. Like, where's the other? Only the one is there. That's a very concerning thing. Why is Jesus so intentional on this? Well, we'll answer those questions. But one of them is simply that we represent the gospel to each other. In the way that we take intentional and initiate reconciliation with one another, it's a powerful witness to ourselves. We all need to hear this. It's a broken, crazy world. And I think the time for unity within the church and in our relationships is going to have a profound effect as the world increasingly becomes more broken prior to the Lord's second coming. So some of the observations that come out of these simple words of Jesus is one brother is worshiping, the other is not there. You may have hindered another person's faith. May it not be so. May your bad attitude, your unwillingness to initiate, to seek reconciliation, may actually be hindering another person's faith. Or maybe you've been harboring some sort of unbelief. Unbelief. I don't really know who's the offender here. I don't think it matters. The Lord's like, I want you, while you're in my presence, being aware of how good and gracious and forgiving I am, I have an avenue through you to be a conduit of grace to another person. So go do that. And then come back 
And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, it almost doesn't matter what the other person says. Once I have determined in my heart that I am actually going to take and, and seek that other person out, then I almost don't care what they say at that point because I, I've reconciled myself with God that I'm going to obey you and I'm going to do this hard thing. And the joy that fills my heart seems to overwhelm whether he accepts the apology or not. It's beautiful. I don't know, maybe it comes with age. I hope it comes with greater maturity in the Lord. But I almost don't care about a lot of stuff anymore. I really don't. It just doesn't matter. What matters is, is Jesus Christ. What matters is I am validated by his love, not by what this brother thinks of me. And that frees me up to be a vessel of blessing to others. The other thing that's interesting to me from this text, if you think about it, is that time and separation had happened. One is there, the other is not. And the Lord's having a point, I can speak to you who has actually come to worship in sincerity and in truth and in spirit. And so I'm saying to you, leave your gift and go do this thing, then come back. Maybe bring them with you. Time and separation, it can be helpful to clear the heart and the mind. Give some space to get back to the heart of God. Do you hear me? Time and separation can be helpful to clear the heart and mind. Harsh words were spoken, things were said, you wish you could take them back, you can't. It's been said. Stuff has been done, the email was sent, you hit click, ah, oh, shouldn't have done it. Give some space to get back to the heart of God. I think it's very important to recognize that the man or woman was at the altar and they were pouring out their heart, they were placing their, I have sinned. Glad you said that. So you've gotten in a right place, a right frame of mind. But understand this, you need to deal with the issue. The Lord does, you can't just sweep it under the rug. The Lord brings it up. Is the Lord bringing up anything to your mind this morning? Is there someone that you need to get right with? Then initiate that. Go for it. Take some time, carefully structure your words so that your biggest concern is for them, not for somehow justifying your actions. They stunk, okay? Admit it. Be intentional and initiate. I sort of get the sense here from the Lord that he's like, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. He seems to be saying, be hasty about this. Now that you have reconciled with me and what I want you to do, then don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. I love to procrastinate as much as the rest of you. It doesn't help. The problems don't go away. In fact, oftentimes they just get worse because I play that scenario in my mind around and around and around, and it becomes extremely unhealthy. And the murder develops in the heart. So, questions. Are there situations that are irreconcilable? Will this always produce reconciliation? Uh, answer, takes two to tango. <laughs> right? I can go and I can 
be as careful and as humble and contrite and honest and gracious as God has empowered me, and they've got then to deal with that on their own, right? Just as grace and mercy was shown to the sinner, Onesimus, time after time after time again, he did not respond initially. He remained an enemy, if you will, of God and Philemon. Like y'all know the story of Joseph, right? Probably one of the greatest stories of all the Bible, except for Jesus and the church, right? Hated by his brothers, Genesis. I think it says they got to the point where they couldn't say a kind word about their brother. And they essentially murdered him. And off he goes to Egypt. They don't see him for 20 years. Then through the course of time, Genesis 45, it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. I'm a dramatist, right? I love romance stories. I admit it, right? And when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, it was amazing. <laughs> they were shocked. They back up. He goes, no, come. And he embraces them, and he's weeping over them. It is I, Joseph. <laughs> I'm alive. How's dad? Ah... He's okay, right? At this point in time, Joseph is the most powerful human being on earth, if you will. He's the vice pharaoh, VP, right? Pharaoh had exalted him to the second place, gave him the rings, like everybody bow down, do everything Joseph says. They recognize that. And here they are, they're, they're, they're in his midst, and he goes, I'm Joseph. All he's got to do is go like this, and they're dead. And they know that. It's sort of like Saul on the road to Damascus when the Lord revealed himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, crap, I'm dead. No, I forgive you. Joseph forgave them. Do you know that at the end of the story of that whole story, 17 years had passed. Dad Jacob finally dies, Genesis 50. And the brothers... In all of their unbelief and the goodness of God and what he had done, that how God had sovereignly overridden their evil intentions. And Joseph told them, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. He was providentially working through this so that I could sustain you in the midst of this massive famine that's going on. And that I could feed you and care for you and bless you. 17 years later, after dad dies, they came to Joseph and they said, now he's going to kill us. Broke his heart. Said he wept. <laughs> so are there situations that are irreconcilable? Nothing's too hard for God. Except maybe a hard heart. But do your part, brother and sister. And at least then, after you've done your part, you can walk away with a good conscience and joy filling your soul, knowing that you have honored the king. Why is Jesus so intent on this idea of reconciliation? Well, to put it negatively first, it damages the witness of the gospel. To put it positively... <laughs> It's a powerful witness of the gospel. 
Jesus said, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as thou hast, excuse me, loved me. I shouldn't eat before I preach. <laughs> right? It's our part that we get to play. Having first been reconciled to God, experienced free grace and forgiveness, a complete exchange, condemnation and guilt gone, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God, dwelling and ruling in my life. Now go share that. Pour that out on other people. In the situations when you find yourself, it's our calling to be reconciled with one another. And one final word, and it's kind of a heavy one, <laughs> it comes from the Apostle John. Y'all know him, right? Uh, interesting guy, man. John is quite the writer. Uh, late in his life, he took pen to paper. Late in the first century. And the one who identified himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved had his head on the Lord's chest during the Passover. Young man, late teens in his discipleship. Late in life, John was, he was so clear. He says this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I don't know where that finds you this morning, but John essentially says, if you don't, if you're not a reconciling type of person, and you're identifying as a Christian, you may not be a Christian. It's that serious. <laughs> it's that important to the Lord's heart. It is really the heart of the gospel, is to restore harmony with those with whom God had difference, right? Holy, unholy. Godly, ungodly. Pure, vile. He took initiation. He gave his life so that we could live. That's the word of the Lord this morning. Be reconcilers. Initiate. Be intentional. Be careful about your words. And I've, what Jesus said here in Matthew, if you bring your gift and remember that your brother has something against you, again, who's the offender? The person at the altar? The person over here? The Lord really doesn't defend that. He doesn't describe that. He's just saying, if you become aware of the, there's a break in the relationship, you're at odds with somebody. I want you, who is here at the altar experiencing and being aware of my grace, I want you then to go and extend that to another. There's no wiggle room in there. The Lord's like, I want you to do this. And if you don't, because he starts his whole application here, therefore, if you don't, then what? Then you end up back in verse 22 where you start getting an attitude about the person. Isn't this the Lord's words to Cain? First murder in the Bible? Lord had respect to Abel's offering. He didn't regard Cain's offering. 
Nothing wrong with the food that he presented. It was a matter of the heart. So Cain, what's up, man? Cain didn't want to talk about it. Look, bro, you need to deal with this. Because sin is lying at the door, and it wants to control you. You need to control it. You need to get right with your brother. There was some break in the relationship with Cain and Abel. I don't know exactly what it was. Some think that it was just a sort of envy. The Cain being the firstborn had taken a whole bunch of responsibility. Abel apparently had been a goody two-shoes, I don't know, kind of a Joseph, a good guy, obedient, and then Cain, for whatever reason, grew into a real animosity toward his brother. But he would come to church and he'd make his offering. And God said, you need to leave your gift at the altar, son, and go get right with your brother. Now that I've talked to you about your bad attitude, now deal with that. Your way out of this prison is to go and express to your brother, bro, I'm sorry. That's the way out of the prison. The Lord taught that clearly, didn't he? Peter said, offenses will come. He goes, how many times should I forgive? Seven? The Lord said, 70 times seven. In other words, until I come again. This is the life in the church. And then he told the famous story. Guy owed 10 million bucks, comes to the king, who called his debt, said, you need to pay. I can't, but I'm taking everything you own. Pennies on the dollar. He begged for forgiveness. The king granted it to him. Turns around, goes out and chokes his brother who owes him 50 bucks. Pay me everything you owe. And all those men went back to the king and said, dude, that guy's out of control. He grabbed a hold of him and put him in prison. That's where we end up. Isn't it fascinating? Joseph spent many years in prison. He was a free man. Because the Lord was with him and he had forgiven his brothers. He forgave them long before they showed up. He had dealt with God. So when that crucial moment came and you actually have to see the person, went through that personally. We first planted the church here, had a guy come into our church. I think I've told you this before. Real, real helpful guy. We needed a lot of help. I needed a lot of help. Super insecure. He was really good help, did a lot of things. Pretty much kind of did all, everything. In the, all I had to do was just prepare and go to work and prepare. Well, come to find out, he was doing stuff that was underhanded, like really bad. And that all came to light. And we were really angry. And I'll tell you, Joni and I spent a lot of times on our knees, literally on our knees next to our bed saying, Lord Jesus, help me, change me, heal me. I want to do bad things to this person for what they've done to my family. Well, he left. And that was cool. Glad. (laughs) Then I go to a conference, like years later, And I'm all pumped, right? Pastor's conference, going to get edified and built up in the Word of God. I walk in, and there he is. All came back. Like, oh, there goes the conference. (laughs) (laughs) Thought I dealt with that. I had dealt with that. You got to deal with it again. Because the old man loves sin, and the new man loves grace. More prayer, more worship, more thought, right? More prayer, 
I'm just rambling. <laughs> you know Corey Ten Boom, right? Hiding place. Ended up in a Nazi prison camp, extermination camp. By God's sovereign will, she was released. Years go by, Tori, Corey Bikir traveled the world telling about the love of Jesus. She's at a meeting, and an ex-Nazi prison guard comes up and says, Miss Ten Boom, I want you to know that I have come to faith in Christ. A prison guard that she that worked in the camp where she was, Ravensbrook. And it's a, it's a famous point in the story, right, where he says, I have accepted Christ, and he sticks out his hand, and he wants to shake her hand. And she said, I had no desire, uh, I just prayed. But by faith, I stuck out my hand, and she said, as our hands grasp, the love of God flooded over my soul, it was palpable. She obediently did what she didn't feel like doing, but she did it because reconciliation is God's heart. And it's the part we get to play. And it's joyous. Let's stand and let's pray. And we thank you. Lord, I thank you for uh, a word this morning from Philemon. And I thank you that he forgave Onesimus. Uh, it's something we live with, Lord. We'll live with all this as long as we're here. And I thank you that your grace abounds, that you, your very life, influences our life, and it's reflected in the actions and the motives that we have. So we want to honor you, Jesus, in our relationship. It's so important to you that we, as your church, as your body, represent you properly. So Lord, if there's any brokenness, in rela unresolved conflicts, now that we've heard, we are now responsible. And we will honor you by doing what you want us to do, what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. <laughs>